Hello and welcome back to the Doc Buddy Journal. I'm your host, Eric Sunset. This episode is being recorded today, Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. I hope you're doing great out there in podcast land, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or straight off the Doc Buddy website. Either thanks for giving us another listen or welcome if this is your first one. As usual, we'll ask that you uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast provider, as long as it is either Apple Pods or Spotify, or both, to be sure you're always getting the newest episodes of the Doc Buddy Journal. Got a couple of uh, housekeeping items for you, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, To start, Doc Buddy is exhibiting in Atlanta tomorrow and Friday at the Joint Georgia and South Carolina Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's semi-annual conference and trade show. Like I said, this is in Atlanta Thursday and Friday of this week. And let me give you a couple of reasons to stop by the booth. We're at booth number seven. I'll actually be there for this event and I'll be joined by our customer success manager, Shauna Vosberg. And you can actually hear from Shauna on an earlier episode of the Doc Buddy Journal. But for a reason to stop by, we would love to show you our revolutionary OpNote solution that empowers surgeons to complete and approve their documentation at or minutes after they finish their procedure. And there's some big downstream benefits to this workflow. Number one, that means your revenue cycle isn't waiting for an op report to come back from transcription, then be reviewed, then append images if you need to, and then finally getting queued for billing. Instead, All of this can happen just minutes after the procedure ends. Secondarily, that completed op report can then be electronically and automatically routed back to the clinic's EHR. And this closes the loop for patient documentation and it allows the clinic to bill the surgeon fee. It's fast. And that should be a recurring theme here, speed. So another good reason to stop by booth number seven in Atlanta is we're gonna be handing out some refreshments along with some of our new killer Slim Can Koozies. That's right, if you've seen Doc Buddy either at Ask a National or you've seen us on the road, you know we're big on Slim Cans, whether they're Celsius energy drinks, cold brews, and now we've got the koozies to match and we'd love to hook you up. And then finally, if you like what you saw with the OpNote solution, we can even tee up a free 15-day trial for you to give it a try. And that, uh, that should do it for our housekeeping. We already asked you to subscribe. We told you we're going to be in Atlanta at the Georgia and South Carolina Joint Semi-Annual Conference and Trade Show. We're really excited to, uh, to visit the Peach State. For me, that's just one state north. I'm based out of Miami and spend quite a bit of time in Georgia. So it's definitely uh, a great destination and one I'm real familiar with. And for the meat of the episode today... We're going to talk about chat GPT in medicine. And we've got two pieces of content that have come out in the last week or so. One from JAMA, and then we've got a couple of takes we're going to examine from a Forbes contributor. And this is not a physician. He's a self-labeled futurist and technologist. But I think the best place to start, if you've seen chat GPT in the news and you haven't really peeled back the onion, let's talk just a little bit about what it actually is. So ChatGPT is a generative pre-trained transformer. So that's the GPT part of it. It's an AI tool that produces text resembling human writing, allowing users to interact with AI almost as if they are communicating with another person. 
And I promise I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on my soapbox here, but AI, artificial intelligence, that's already a misnomer because in its own description, it's a generative pre-trained transformer that produces text resembling human writing. So the most important thing to remember when we're talking about LLMs, which is large language models, is that it isn't a machine that knows things. All it knows is the information about the distribution of words. And we don't need to examine that uh, to the fullest, but put more simply, you type in a prompt to the chat GPT window, and it isn't going to answer you like a human being is answering you. It'll look like a human does, but there's no knowledge base that it's drawing from except for the inputs that have gone in to train it, and it is giving you the most likely next word in a sentence. So incredible product. There are definitely some real-world applications. When we look at some of these uh, potential healthcare applications, though, um, I'm going to sound a little bit like a cynic, a little bit like a skeptic. You can be the judge. Um, if you uh, want to have that debate, I invite you to send in a question to the show, eric at docbuddy.com, E-R-I-K at docbuddy.com. We can get into it. Love to talk about AI or the lack thereof of a real, true, either generalized AI or domain-specific AI. But we're going to start with the JAMA article, and here's a quote. Within healthcare, GPT could play roles in research, education, and clinical care. In research settings, it can help scientists formulate questions, develop study protocols, and summarize data. In medical education, GPT can serve as an interactive encyclopedia. It could simulate patient interactions to help students hone history-taking skills. GPT can even produce first drafts of progress notes, patient care plans, and other documents students must prepare for class or the wards. So everything that's been described there makes a lot of sense to me. It sounds pretty good. I'm with it. I get it. I see the value. It makes a lot of sense to, uh, to use the current generation of technology to accomplish these ends, particularly with the, uh, the student interactions with ChatGPT. But the article continues. For clinicians, GPT can potentially ease burnout by taking on repetitive tasks. And that's the end of the quote. So like what? Are we talking about documentation or something else? I, I don't really get it. And this is going to be a recurring theme for the, the episode. That whether you're inputting into chat GPT or to your EHR or otherwise, physicians still need to generate their documentation. So what exactly, which, which repetitive tasks are we talking about easing here? You know, we're big on workflow. would love to see a silver bullet that eliminates all repetitive tasks. We know that's a big driver for burnout, um, but we're kind of looking at a solution in search for problem here. So continuing on, it can provide clinical decision support and be incorporated into EMR platforms such as Epic. So maybe, maybe ChatGPT could provide some level of clinical support, but there's a huge caveat here. Uh, currently, the cutoff for data inputs into ChatGPT to train the model is in 2021. So that's two years ago. It's predictive power, and that's predictive power, not intelligence. It doesn't know anything. It's predicting the next word and sentence for you. It's limited, obviously, uh, by the inputs that train the model. So any new information after that cutoff date is presumably not available for use. 
I went a little bit deeper here than uh, I probably needed to. It appears that ChatGPT is actually picking up on some current events. Like if you ask it who is the current king or queen of England, it, depending on what you ask it, it seems to understand that it's no longer Queen Elizabeth. Rest in peace. It's uh, King Charles now. Anyway, um, another great example of a what if, and this is just a hypothetical, what if the cutoff for inputs into ChatGPT was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic? That would hugely influence the outputs, right? Like think about all the data and all the articles that were generated online around COVID. Well, the same thing goes for that next thing, which hopefully is going to be a huge breakthrough in treatment protocols for some dire illness and not another pandemic, but it's going to be limited based on whatever inputs it was trained on. And that cutoff date is huge. Where I think there's a little bit of a reason to get excited about the application of a GPT product or a GPT-like product into healthcare, and the JAM article continues, in theory, physicians could enter patient info into the software and ask for a differential diagnosis or a preliminary treatment plan. That seems like a good application to me. There's, a, there's obviously a hard and fast limit to something that a human brain can remember, whether you're a physician or not. So getting a, a second opinion as a provider out of a cutting edge uh, large language model program is probably not a bad thing. There's a huge but here, though. So another caveat, another potential red flag is that current versions of ChatGPT are not HIPAA compliant and could jeopardize patient privacy. Uh, JAMA rightly points out that until professional grade versions with adequate safeguards are available, clinicians should avoid inputting PHI. That doesn't seem like such a big deal to me. We all know that email, unless it's an encrypted uh, email client, we all know that email is not a secure medium. Same goes for anything that you're typing into on the internet. You know, unless you are logged in and have a secure encrypted connection, PHI just shouldn't go there. So it doesn't seem like such a big deal. Um, but what I like is it being able to draw from the entire body of medical literature to get either a confirmation on a complex diagnosis or, like I already said, to get a second opinion as a provider. That sounds great. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me as a patient and as a healthcare consumer myself, just like we all are to some extent, you'd want that, uh, I would imagine. We're going to pivot now to the aforementioned Forbes article. Um, it is from a contributor, like we said, who's a futurist and technology advisor. They're not a physician, not necessarily a, a healthcare technologist, and some of the suggested uses here uh, to me, show that ChatGPT is really a solution in search of problems to solve, where JAMA takes a really nice, measured, balanced approach to it, pros and cons. Uh, we'll obviously link to that article in the show description if you're curious. Where we're jumping the shark a little bit, I think, is that if we're suggesting that a tool can do everything, anything that you want, then in reality, it can't do much of anything, at least not anything well. Uh, at least that's a heuristic that I go by. So there's a long list of suggested uses in this Forbes contributor article. We're going to look at just a few of them, starting with medical record keeping. The contributor goes on, chat GPT can be used to generate automated summaries of patient interactions with, uh, and medical histories, which can help streamline the medical record keeping process. 
With ChatGPT, doctors and nurses can dictate their notes, and the model can automatically summarize key details, including symptoms, diagnoses, and treatments. Well, number one, uh, with my background being in EHRs, I'm automatically going to, well, what about the discrete data? Because tra uh, traditional dictation, and this is unlike how DocBuddy operates, so we're thinking about traditional dictation here, you're not filling in discrete data with your dictation. So automatically, hopefully quality measures and quality reporting don't matter a whole lot to you if this is how you're going to document. And then going further, a step further, the automated summaries piece streamlining documentation doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Either you're leaving details on the cutting room floor, which opens up compliance exposure, obviously. If you're taking a patient history and ChatGPT decides something isn't pertinent or isn't worth keeping, uh, that's an issue. Uh, so either that or you're generating the same documentation you always have, then you're adding another layer of technology to provide summarized data, which would then presumably be added to the patient's chart. And that's fine uh, to some extent, but you talk to a provider about their workflow, the last thing that anybody wants is to have to open up another window or to have to manually move around a, uh, a piece of summarized findings, which again, that compliance exposure, that liability exposure, you are taking medical decision-making for what's important out of the provider's hands and putting it into a software, which again, can't think for itself. It can only predict the next likely word in the sentence. And it does do a good job of that. Uh, it, it really does. So the next um, suggestion we're gonna look at is medical translation. ChatGPT can be used to provide real-time translation services to facilitate communication between patients and healthcare providers. With its advanced language processing capabilities, ChatGPT can accurately and quickly translate medical jargon, technical terms, and common expressions, allowing patients to understand their diagnosis, treatment options, and medication instructions. With regard to translating medical jargon, technical terms, and common expressions, I would ask, like what? Uh, this is sounding to me an awful lot like WebMD with more steps. And don't forget, you do have to pay to use ChatGPT, so there's a subscription involved as well. Um, taking the stance from the provider's point of view, treatment options need to be discussed with your provider. Again, ChatGPT doesn't actually know anything, so it will be regurgitating info it has consumed as part of its training inputs, uh, presumably from sites like WebMD. And then we look at the medication instructions uh, aspect of this. What could be more clear than what's printed on the label of a prescription? Every single prescription you get has instructions for how to take it and when printed right there on the label. So how could a, a large language model software like GPT possibly be a better solution than just reading your prescription? I don't get that at all. And you know, continuing down this track of prescriptions, uh, is a suggestion about drug info from the contributor. So for drug information, ChatGPT can be used to provide real-time info about drugs, including side effects, interactions, and potential contraindications. Patients can communicate with ChatGPT using natural language, and the model can respond with accurate and timely information, helping patients make informed decisions about their medications. Well, I got to tell you, your provider's EHR, and this is if your provider's doing their job with record keeping, and by and large, they sure are, 
your provider's EHR is already providing warnings around drug-to-drug interactions, uh, drug-to-allergy checks, and you know, with the right EHR, even drug-to-formulary checks to be sure that your prescription is uh, covered by insurance. So again, we're hoping a new technology makes something easier when in fact every e-prescription module and every certified EHR in the country is already doing this. Going a step further, what provider in the country, and name one, what provider in the country would rather have their patients ask ChatGPT what they should be doing with a medication or a treatment plan uh, than their office, than the provider themselves? We know providers take a ton of pride. I mean, it's their job to treat their patients and ensure the best possible uh, outcomes for their patients. Uh, But when you go a step further, again, looking at uh, compliance exposure and liability, the patient-physician relationship is really heavily regulated. I'm going to quote the JAMA article here. Uh, This patient-physician relationship is defined by values like competence, trust, and patient autonomy. So while a patient is certainly in their right to go to WebMD, look up their condition, see what WebMD says, and that certainly um, isn't a provider's favorite thing to have happen, uh, just because the patient generally uh, doesn't have the medical background or knowledge base to totally know what they're looking at and can kind of spiral into this rabbit hole. I mean, that's the meme, right? Like I looked up my my simple cough and fever on WebMD, and now I'm fearing for the worst. I'm fearing I've got a terminal illness, right? Like we've all we've all heard that joke. So to bring the point home, a provider is not going to suggest, "Oh yeah, uh, here's my diagnosis. Here's your prescription. Here's what you do with it. Do you have any questions for me?" No. Okay. Well, if you have any questions on your own time, why don't you fire up your Chat GPT and ask it what it thinks? Going back to the top of the show. Remember, the the most critical aspect of understanding this technology, of understanding a large language model, it doesn't actually know anything. It doesn't have a decision-making capability. All it knows is the information about the distribution of words and what's likely to come next in a sentence. And this predictive power is limited by the inputs that have gone into the model. We've already discussed the cutoff date. So you're potentially getting stale by a couple of years information, and obviously there are going to be new versions of ChatGPT. We're on version three, version four is right around the corner, if I'm not mistaken. So that cutoff date will move. It's not set in stone that it's always 2021, uh, but that's a really important consideration when you're looking at the outputs of GPT. And with all that said, you know, you listen to this podcast, you could be thinking like, wow, Eric is really anti chat GPT. He's really anti AI tool. And that's not true at all. I'm just preaching a little bit of caution here. We are at the very beginning of this technology. It's very widely adopted, but still second and third order impacts of using a product like GPT. It's not totally understood, you know, and to bring it, uh, to a little more narrow realm where people's lives aren't hanging in the balance. Um, when you look at the outputs for chat GPT for simple text prompts, sometimes it looks pretty good. Uh, it always needs editing. You have to be careful because there doesn't have a whole, there's not a whole lot of attribution available, if any, for where the information comes from. So chat GPT is not a panacea uh, by any means, but where I think it'll shine and where I think it'll probably be quite useful is to, is to simulate that patient interaction 
with students that are in med school because it is so good at simulating speech and human writing. Speech, I guess you'd have to have it talk to you, but it really does look like you're conversing with another entity, although that's not the case. That's not what's happening because it's not a machine that actually knows anything. It's a machine that can predict the next words in the sentence based on the prompt that you give it. So I absolutely see the value in a training sense. Again, you're going to need oversight. There are going to be no medical school degrees that are issued um, without uh, the faculty, without the teaching staff, without the providers overseeing the patient's work and guiding them and making sure they understand that chat GPT is a useful tool, but there's no replacement for your actual human being knowledge base, critical thinking skills, and clinical decision-making that comes of it. So what makes a little less sense, uh, though, is using it as a search engine, uh, like some of these provided suggestions, just because of the cutoff date. You know, it doesn't know everything. It's not real-time search like, uh, like Google would be. And again, you got to be careful with that as well, that, um, you know, if you're not a physician and you go into WebMD and you spiral down that, that dark place where you're thinking you've got a pretty scary condition when in fact you've got a very treatable, very common uh, type of illness that you're working through, uh, that should be a red flag as well. And really that's a red flag both on the provider side that it isn't always the most current information and then also on the patient side. You know, your, your treatment plans, your medications, your, your treatment protocols and how you're supposed to be taking your prescriptions and medications you know, the single source of truth there is your provider. So while ChatGPT can be an interesting toy to play with or an interesting training tool for those in medical school, you know, this is not the silver bullet that solves all of healthcare's woes. In a recent episode, we've talked about physician burnout. I know that's a recurring theme here at the Doc Buddy Journal, but does ChatGPT keep more providers employed and practicing? I'm not seeing it. Does ChatGPT get more people interested in practicing medicine? Not really seeing that either, uh, especially not with the very well-established structure and dynamic between insurance carriers, with CMS, with healthcare organizations. Um, it's just not quite there. It's a solution in search of a problem, at least at present. Um, and that's okay. Um, I, I love to see that people are thinking about this. It's a very good thing uh, to broaden a human being's knowledge base because we all know we don't know everything all the time about any given topic. So to be able to have a little bit of an aid with something like GPT, especially for that differential diagnosis or you want to confirm a complex diagnosis, could be a useful tool. Um, but again, medical decision making has got to come back to the provider every single time. And with all that said, it is time to put a bow on this episode. So if you're a Georgia or South Carolina-based ASC, we hope to see you in Atlanta at the end of the week. Again, stop by booth number seven. You can meet the Doc Buddy team, take a look at our OpNote solution, grab a refreshment on us, probably even a koozie as well if you're into that. Be sure that you're subscribed to the pod on your favorite app, and then be sure that you're following Doc Buddy on LinkedIn. You do that by logging into LinkedIn, search for DocBuddy, and then clicking the follow button on our company page. On behalf of the entire DocBuddy team, I'm your host, Eric Sunset. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.